Hi everybody! A quick note before the actual show begins. I recently got an arm stand for my Blue Snowball mic to make it a little bit easier to record and be able to use the keyboard and some stuff like that. And there's a little bit of growing pains with that because on occasion, and you will hear in this podcast in particular, there is some weird sounds going on behind uh, my recording, some wind tunnel sounds and some weird fluctuations in quality. So I apologize for my own recorded stream that you will hear in this podcast. However, John and Tinsian sound clear as a bell, so I feel it's still worth putting out just so you can hear them. But again, I apologize for the strange sounds that you may or may not notice behind this speaking um, that are coming from my mic. But hopefully I can resolve this soon and uh, figure out how to properly use this. So thanks a lot for your patience and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 58th episode in a weekly series called DC Games Expo. Here with me are John and Tinsian today. Welcome, guys. Hey. Good evening. Last week's discussion was with Chris Scott Fire, the editor-in-chief and founder of the gaming site Chocolate Lemon. Please visit www.denesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, the 19th of March, and we are going to discuss our visit to Washington, D.C., where we visited the Games Expo at the Smithsonian. So let's start with news of the week. of the week. Uh, a little bit of older news that we didn't discuss because we've had some guests on and some other stuff happening. I'm sure you guys know about this, but worth talking about. Uh, Blizzard has brought out a new scroll of resurrection to invite former World of Warcraft players back into the game, <laughs> like myself. Uh, <laughs> this is alluring because it instantly brings returning players up to level 80 if you weren't there, and it upgrades you to Cataclysm uh, with seven days of free game time, so a week of play. And it offers free realm and faction transfers for returning players who may have friends that are on other other servers. So what do you think about that, guys? Is that a spit in the face of all the people that work in at 80? Or do you think that's like... That's what I'm thinking, which is mostly the people who still play now, right? Because they're so vested in the game. So, like, aren't all you guys mad at... <laughs> at they're, now they're just giving away your hard work for you? I, I think it's a boon. Um, I've got 185 character, and I think it's going to be great as far as keeping people interested because those who are paying and playing right now are the hardcores. Therefore, they probably got an alt or something, and maybe a raid team or their group, or maybe just their even their curiosity over playing a healer or a DPS or a tank, something that they're not um, used to playing. They can use this to get to 80, and uh, then try to work on learning. You know the the past of the class and that kind of sounds like that's like abusing the thing so someone can get their alt up to 80 well, that's without what having I was to wondering. grind is it like a rule that you can only have one character what if you just end your account and then start your account and then level your alt I guess it could happen you know if aren't Aunt Beertrude or something like that suddenly wants to play wow you know that may be a little cheesy sick and her on uh, 
masses, but I don't know. From my perspective, I think it's a good thing. Because you'll get more of your old friends to come back and play it. Yeah, or I can just use it on one of you know my alts or yeah. something like that. But it's either either way, if the player sucks or they're a jerk or something like that, I still have my ignore feature. So, <laughs> but <laughs> most people most people are fairly well spoken up if you know they don't know something or they don't know a class or something. Or I can't stand my alt. He's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ignore my own alt. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, then everybody in the game is going to suddenly be 80. What about all the lower level players who are trying to work up through content? I thought part of the beauty of WoW, at least for me, was starting from a level one in the new areas that I hadn't seen before and experiencing the storyline and the quest line and moving up until I got to the point where, you know, hard fought and grinding later, I'm max level with that character. Just starting at 80, I wouldn't think you'd have any appreciation for the lore, the story, the beauty of the lower-leveled lands. You're just going to go right into raiding because, really, I mean, this is the issue why people left in the first place. What do you do when you get to 80? I think it's just really, that's why they're gearing this towards the alts and the established players because the new players would have been brought in with Cataclysm a year, year and a half ago with the premise of all new zones, all new starter zones, new content all the way up to 80. That's why I think that this is just is a bid aside from the annual pass to keep players and that's why it's your established paying players that are probably going to make the most use of it versus just suddenly getting their own, you know, friend in or something along those lines. Most people who play would kind of want their newly never played WoW somehow missed out on that boat uh, friends to see it from the very get go. This is a quick and dirty for alts. Yeah, well, see, I'm I'm disagreeing because I think if you're already a level eighty or or a high level seventy and you've left the game, the reason you've left the game is because you're bored at the higher levels and you don't have anything to do. Somebody who's brand new, who's never been to the game before, might be lured in by this premise, saying like, "Oh, well, maybe I'll try the game now that I have this chance." But they're still going to be stuck with what I said before, where they don't get to see any of the really cool content at the lower levels. They're stuck right into the we need to raid or do something, you know, for the three zones that we have. If you're already a, a player before, like myself, I'm not lured back by this in any way because I already had level 80 characters. It didn't solve the problem. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I guess it's I guess it is a lure for people that have never been in, in the game before. But again, I think it's kind of a weird. Yeah, I guess it's just so people can start raiding as fast as possible. I guess is that what most people do on WoW these days? At the end, at the end game for sure. Well. Anyway, <laughs> it's happening, so there you go. <laughs> okay, another older bit of news that we should discuss is Peter Molinex, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, Molyneux, I think. Molyneux, I was French. Molyneux? Yes, French-Canadian, I think. Okay. He's leaving Lionhead Studios and Microsoft, but he will finish Kinect's Fable The Journey, which is the most recent Fable that will be out, the last in the Fable series so far. And he revealed that his new venture will be called 22 Cans, after he leaves. Hmm. Uh, and he says, quote, It is with mixed emotions that I made the decision to leave Microsoft and Lionhead Studios, the company I co-founded in 1997, at the conclusion of the development of Fable the Journey. He said uh, this year's forthcoming Fable game is going to be for the Xbox 360 Connect, and he will continue to be involved in that title as a creative consultant even after he leaves. So, there you go. B 
big time game developer leaving. Think he's, get, he's getting up near that retirement age too, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> but then again, dude, when's the last time a game developer retired? It has been. Yeah, we'll just start a new venture called Twenty Two Cans. I don't know about that. I thought he was joining uh, another company. That I thought the Twenty Two Cans was already in existence, and he was just joining that company. Oh, I don't know if he's joining or if he's founding, but it just says it's his new venture, so it doesn't. It's not clear on that. Hmm. He need he could use a fresh start. <laughs> he needs to build something new. Well, I mean, Fable. I I didn't play a lot of Fable, but uh, I guess it was. It sounded like the series was losing its fans, and he always wasn't he always promising a lot and then like failing to live up to expectations. So maybe a clean slate is kind of what he needs to to have a good starting off point and starting off a new franchise. Okay. Well, I've always loved the Fable game, so I can't really speak to that necessarily. Although I, I did miss Fable 2, because it is very specific for the Xbox platform. But I'm a big fan of Fable games, and I'm looking forward to the journey coming out. Uh, Mike Caps, the president of Epic Games, was at the press conference for Apple uh, a couple days ago, and he announced that his new game called Infinity Blade Dungeons which is a dungeon crawler. It has an overhead camera angle. It's kind of like Diablo, um, but it has crafting options and things like that. And mm. you start as an apprentice, and your goal is to craft the ultimate weapon. So it's all about crafting. The Infinity Blade would be your ultimate weapon. And it's designed to show off some of the iPad 3's designs, like the A5X chipset and the retina display and some other stuff, and it is going to la launch on March 16th, so it should already be out. And he said that the new iPad has more memory to showcase this, but some readers are concerned uh, that the iOS devices that they have will be able to run Infinity Blade Dungeons, and apparently Epic Games Vice President Mark Rain has said that it will run on fourth-generation devices and newer. So if you have an iPhone 4, 4S, or iPod Touch, Anything fourth generation, and all three of the iPads will be able to play this game. Cool. I, 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 Infinity Blade was um, that fighting game on the iPhone a while, a while back, I, right? That was the dungeon hack and slash. It was the predecessor to this one. This is just the dungeon hunting new graphics series. and stuff. But this apparently, uh, people have been raving over the first Infinity Blade, and it'll still pop up on podcasts and game shows and mention stuff. It was sort of taking the handheld console that the Vita wants to be into the handheld iOS space, whether it's on your phone, your iPod Touch, or uh, the iPad, but this new one is supposed to be so breathtaking that pretty much it'll make anything come to a crawl that's not the most splitting edge to go with it. <laughs> nice. Valve's Portal 2 has taken several prizes at this year's British Academy of Film and Television Arts, uh, which is a Game Awards presentation that occurred Friday. Battlefield 3 and Little Big Planet 2 also received recognition in multiple categories, and Portal 2 got awards for Best Story, Best, Divine, Best Design, and the top prize of the evening, which was Best Game. Battlefield 3 won Best Online Multiplayer, Audio Achievement, and the GAME Award. And so, BAFTA, popular, uh, and Valve took, basically took the cake on that. So yay for Valve and Portal 2. Absolutely yay for Valve. 
Stephen Merchant needs more BAFTAs. That's true. <laughs> a whole shelf of BAFTAs. I, what does the actual trophy look like? Have you seen it? Um, I think it's half a mask, like a weird Phantom of the Opera type golden mask. Oh, okay. Or Peter Molyneux just uh, rolling in money. <laughs> it's a gold, gold cast. Okay, I'm doing it. All right. Ars Technica has an article on EA announcing today that they will be shutting down online servers for over a dozen titles. And this is concerning because some of those games are actually less than two years old. And the first round of shutdowns will occur on March 31st. It will include iOS titles Battlefield 3 Aftershock, Fantasy Safari, and Ghost Harvest. And then there will be a second group, a larger group, which will be shut down on April 15th. And this will include Boom Blocks Bash Party for the Wii, Burnout Revenge, Xbox 360, EA Create, EA Sports Active, EA Sports Active NFL Training Camp, Godfather 2, EA Sports MMA, which is a really big one, and several other games. And the online components of these will be unplayable after the server shutdown. Now, that's a pretty big deal, and a lot of people know about the infamous Project $10, which is uh, another fun thing from EA, where you purchase pre-owned copies and where you had to pay a, a fee to play them online. And if you've purchased an online pass, you will be effectively p- paying $10 for less than a month of online game pay- play, which is roughly $0.40 cents a day, I think. So EA is kind of like beginning to to change some of their, their servers and to nickel and dime people for some of their games, and I'm not sure what's going on with that. The only one I'm really familiar with out of that list is the uh, Mafia 2. Okay. Apparently, EA Sports MMA for the PS3 and the Xbox 360 is the one that's concerning a lot of people um, for its its online content. Yeah, I guess guess those games weren't doing so well. I don't know. Need for Speed Pro Street? I mean, Need for Speed Saboteur? I thought they were kind of pretty popular. Some of those sounded like um, weird what Xbox Live type arcade games or like free uh, like smaller games that they go to coincide with the release, like that Mass Effect Infiltrator for like your iPad, oh, I whatever. I sort of think that the Saboteur. I remember seeing um, heavy publicity for the game before it came out, but I think it died on the retail shelves. So this is probably just them um, trying to save face and scraping it, in the you know the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, I don't think that one ever took off. But it makes you miss those days of when you bought something, you actually owned it, and you know now mm-hmm. you have dead products that you can't use anymore and it's like you paid for it and now it's kind of worthless that's the debate that people are having i assume there's still some base content that you have but a lot of it is you know it would be like steam saying we're no longer going to carry in these hundred titles that you've that you've purchased electronically and you can only play the ones that don't i guess check back with steam i don't know it's very it's very odd thing Steam in the past has said that if they ever shut down, just like um, the good old game site and a few others have pretty much said that if they ever decide to shut down, they'll send out the mass unlock code that modifies the game so they never have to talk to any servers again. So at least they're on the up and up. But I agree that EA is sort of doing the the weird thing where they should just sort of unlock their servers for, for the remaining time and try to maybe get some people hooked on an EA title or at least oh, maybe this game kind of sucks, but this other game is kind of good. Maybe I'll go down to the store and look for another EA game, but this is not really putting the customer first. Hmm. Seems like another 
hey, they're starting to nickel and dime everyone. That's I think that's I, I want to think what goes on with Mass Effect Three is largely due to EA, you know, trying to get every dollar out you of mean with the uh, their games. DLC. Yeah, with the DLC and and any forthcoming DLC with changes, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure this is all part of their new strategy. Mm. Get people to just buy new content. Um, no use games. Lots of DLC. Just trying to get every bit of that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Mass Effect, we did talk last podcast and a couple podcasts about the Mass Effect 3 ending protests and how there is a Facebook page specifically for this with you know 13,000 people who are protesting the ending of Mass Effect. And regardless of the original intentions for the ending, Hudson has assured fans that the team will keep listening to the protests and they're going to design new downloadable content for the game. And he says, quote, because your insights and constructive feedback will help determine what that content should be. This is not the last you'll hear of Commander Shepard. Which I thought was pretty provocative because, no spoilers, but if you get to the ending of Mass Effect, it's kind of indeterminate whether there's going to be a Mass Effect 4 because, you know, you're not sure. Like, is Shepard alive? It, it all depends what you chose, too. True. Well, there's also discussion that there may be prequels now coming out you know, before Mass Effect 1. I would love to see that. Shepard and Boot Camp. Yes. <laughs> well, as long as we get options to continue playing, I think that'd be great. They've invested a lot in the world and the uh, different races in the world, and I'd hate to see it end. I, I don't think they'd throw away an opportunity like that, but it's just whether, you know, how much are they going to charge us for this? Like, I'm sure all the fans say, you owe it to us, and I'm sure they're going to charge for it. Really, <laughs> EA will be like, you cannot give that out for free. Absolutely. Well, BioWare has followed up with a post on the Mass Effect Facebook page today, actually, saying Mm -hmm. that the developer is, quote, actively and seriously taking all player feedback into consideration and has not made a decision regarding requests to change the ending. So we don't know if there will be additional DLC options that might add to the story or not. But They're still actively considering it. Everything is on the table, they say, which is not... (laughs) So non-committal of the com- uh, is, to, yes. to say for anything. Um, I don't know. You know, just to jump ahead to the the, pa- the panels that were at the Art of Video Gaming, there was a guy from Bioware there, and I thought it was very brave that he tried to field that question, that inevitable question. What about the ending to Mass Effect Three? And what did he say? Well, it's the he took the artist stance, and it's like, well, if this is how the writers chose to end it. Like, you're just going to have to accept it. You, as the audience, you don't really, you know, you're not. They're not accountable to you of how you think you want your ending. Like, they write the ending that they think is best. And, you know, Ted Levine and Kelly Santiago, they all, they all backed his play on that. Like, as the, art, the artist gets to choose mm-hmm. what they want. That's true. If you don't like the ending, don't mm-hmm. buy another game. Mm-hmm. You know. Another news, in Diablo 3 world, everyone's so excited that there's officially a launch date of May 15th, which is coming right up. But just throwing that in there. And news of the week for us. So, how about you guys? Uh, John, what is your news of the week? I don't really have anything other than um, wrapping up my... Well, let's see. I guess I've been playing a lot of Draw Something. It's like <laughs> my new favorite game. And uh, while well, I have a, um, a smartphone for a while... And I guess uh, I'll be sad to see go when that job wraps up. That's my own personal news. Well, tell the listeners what that is, because they might not know. Oh, I'm I'm 
currently for the last five weeks doing caricatures at um or portraits um at a local mall here uh for the samsung galaxy note which is like a mini tablet and phone in one um and draw something and draw something is a, a pictionary type game that uh you can use on your mobile phone with friends and i've been inundating all my facebook friends with pictures and challenges and i'm gonna i'm actually gonna miss it when it's gone <laughs> <laughs> I love playing that app with you, but I've I've gotten so many friends now doing it. It's like I have fifteen pictures to draw. By the time I'm done, I'm like, ah, oh, my hands, I can't draw anything else. This is tiring. I know. I draw all day. Like I'm an illustrator, and I draw all day and draw on the weekends. And it's like, do I really want to spend my day off drawing <laughs> on these phones? And the answer is yes. I absolutely do. That's how much fun I have in that game. It is really fun. I think I drew Ewoks and Yoda. The other day, that was really fun. There's a lot of good choices for the words that you have to represent. They're not just all boring. It is kind of a bug game, though, so I will warn people. Um, I don't know. It's not in beta, and, and um, but there is a free trial version. And I'd say stick with that till they iron out some of the, the problems that they have. Yes, I've heard if you purchase... I think it's only 99 cents, but if you purchase it, that there are certain things. I, I think that the search for a game randomly option may bug and there's a lot of other bugs so i just stuck with the free version even though i don't have a lot of color choices yeah i've had a lot of friends with incomplete games where like it'll show you um you know it'll give you the drawing but the letters it gives you to choose from um how the game works is uh you watch someone draw an object and then there's a group of letters at the bottom and you have to spell out the object that they're drawing and in my case it was a robot and there was no R, O, or B in the letters of choose, so there's no way my friend could have answered it correctly. And that, that's a pretty glaring error. Yes. Also, if you're in the middle of an app, uh, like let's say it's your turn to draw, and you just tab out in the equivalent of the iPad tab out, you can't go back. It start. It just basically assumes you didn't finish it, and it just you fail. So it's there are definitely buggy things, but it's fun. I've got the paid version, and I get a lot of flickering when it's um, switching screens. Ah, uh, okay. What about you, uh, Tinsian? What's your news of the week? Uh, news of the week is the expo that we'll talk about here, playing Mass Effect when able, and uh, pretty much looking forward to the uh, Diablo 3 coming out. Okay. Let's see, my news of the week, I just got together a Twitch TV channel for the gray area where uh, John and, and Zinzian and Rabbit and Dan were all playing Mass Effect 3 multiplayer and I'm streaming it uh, when able. And so that's really fun. You can hopefully, if I get all the kinks out tonight, you can hear us all talking and our crazy banter back and forth and watch us <laughs> do our hopefully extractions. Yes, I like so. that multiplayer. That's the first multiplayer I've really gotten into, and I'm actually enjoying it. It's very fun. I'm, I'm really hoping it is genuinely fun, and I'm not just recommending it to people because I'm like somehow oddly addicted to it. <laughs> <laughs> I've yet to have some friend go, like, go and try it out and be like, what, what is this? On your shill. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we're so awesome that makes it fun, regardless. Yeah, just <laughs> playing together is probably what, what does it be playing Pictionary instead. doesn't matter. I like the, uh, we're down to six seconds left and we're massively <laughs> spamming who's got the most muddy gels and <laughs> trying to stay in range. <laughs> oh, that was great. That was great through the night. 
Okay, and my news of the week, I am playing the Mass Effect 3 single player through a second time, now that I have a... I stole a Tinsian saved game from Mass Effect 2, because mine mm. is corrupted, and I wasn't able to load it. So I'm hoping to encounter some of the characters I missed first time through with a just fresh slate. And I'm um, playing the demo of Flower from that gaming company, and I'm prepared to buy Journey this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Yes. And some super exciting news. Uh, at the end of a lot of my podcasts lately, Rabbit has been kind enough to do a little segment about my Amazon wish list and um, just tell people that you know, if they want to support the podcast, they can do so through the Amazon wish list if they feel awkward just making a donation. And this week, somebody really awesome and who will remain anonymous except for calling him Mr. S sent me an Xbox 360 with Connect. Oh my God. Wow. I was so excited. Yes. I know. There was a lot of screaming that day. I have not opened it. It just sits there on the table looking beautiful. And then I think... <laughs> and watches weekend. you with its connect. <laughs> yes. This weekend when I'm brave, I will open it up and try to play. But I'm very excited to be able to play. <laughs> Fable 2. That's probably the first game I'm going to buy because I've never been able to... I have Fable 3 and Fable 1. But I've never been able to play Fable 2 because that's exclusive for the Xbox 360. So, <laughs> so excited. Yeah. I had no idea that they didn't put that one out on PC. No. But oh. did all the other ones, apparently? Just one and three, and then uh, Fable so 2 and The Journey are only on Xbox 360 exclusive. So only odd numbers go to the I don't know. I don't know what's up with that. But, but anyway, looking forward to playing that. A couple weeks ago, for around my birthday, I also did get from my Amazon wish list. Rabbit was kind enough to send me. Um, if you play D&D, there's like life counters. And they look like really pretty crystals, um, kind of purple and red. And you can use them to keep track of your life. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm going to actually put them on display because I think they're too pretty to actually use for the game. <laughs> I'm going to put them in a bowl and just put them on the table because they're that pretty. Um, so he did send me some things too, and I, I should not neglect Rabbit. I thought that was very sweet considering that he's homeless and has a very limited budget to send me something. Anyway. All right. Topic of the day. The Games Expo at the Smithsonian. I'm going to give a little background of that for the listeners, and then hopefully we can talk about uh, our impressions of it. So the curator and author, Chris Melisinos, I hope I'm saying that right, M-E-L-I-S-S-I-N-O-S, Melisinos, I can't say it. Melisinos, maybe, I don't know. Melisinos, I'm going to say Melisinos. Uh, he's the one who created and conceived this exhibition, The Art of Video Games, and it runs from March 16th to September 30th, and he's representing video games as not just play, but actually emotional and social experiences, and he's calling them culture and art. This is how they ended up in the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. There will be a team of game developers, designers, and journalists, and he has 240 games, which span five different eras, and they represent the diversity of the gaming world. And some of the criteria to choose these games included visual effects, creative use of technologies, and how world events and popular culture manifested in the games. Actually, the public ended up picking these games. Uh, they went online and there was an option to choose them. There were more than 3.7 million votes. Uh, 80 winners were featured in the Art of Video Games exhibition. And we saw a lot of them. I thought they were really... I guess I should, I should say that there are two huge rooms that you first go in. And... 
The first room is has a little bit of art, a little bit of sketches on the wall of some video game art. It has people on a monitor, just you can see their game face as they're playing. Um, and then you walk into the central area where there are huge screens and a lot of classic video games. Um, Pac-Man, Flower was there you could play. Uh, what were some of the others? Some of the older games? Um, uh, the playable games? Yes. Mist? Um, there was like Mist? five. Yeah, Mist was one. What was the yeah. one you were talking about, Tinzian, that you used to play as a kid? It was like a, almost like Secret. a King's Quest Maniac Mansion. Maniac Mansion. That was playable there? Yes. Oh my god, that was one of my favorite. I didn't even. I must have gone past it. <laughs> you, were dis- you, you were distracted by Flower. It was Rebecca. I guess. I went straight for it. Yes, you did. And so you could play them on a, a screen the size of a wall. Yes. And it wasn't too bad. The lines weren't awful. I mean, you could get in and do it. We were there early. But it definitely gave it that feeling of art. It was so big. That's true. That's very true. And then you walk into the third room, and they have all the consoles, ranging from the old Atari all the way up. Uh, They had the Commodore 64, ColecoVision, you know, NES, GameCube, Wii, all the way up through the PS3 and the Xbox 360, and everything in between. And you could see the old systems, and then they had three games that were considered representative of the system. Those are the ones that people voted on, is my assumption. And uh, little kind of art screenshots of each one of the games, and you could listen on a telephone receiver and hear the actual gameplay and some of the voices and stuff. So that was kind of neat to walk through and see the evolution of the consoles all the way from the Atari and, and to see the graphics improve from your 816, you know, all the way up to the PS3, which which was considered, I thought, the best graphically in the series. So what do you guys think? I think it's definitely designed for... I just had the feeling it was designed for, like, parents taking their kids there and be like, this is what I used to play. So, like, that's a console? <laughs> These are games? It's like, yes, those blocky things are games. Exactly. At least I'm not starting out as a curmudgeon in this episode. That's good. <laughs> well, it was designed for people that have no knowledge of video games and just basically to look at them visually as art. If you were a gamer, they, they were trying to avoid things that were controversial and things that would be uh, points of argument between gamers and just keep it very simple. And I think they definitely kept it simple. I think they kept it too simple. There was nothing really to stir any sort of conversation really about the thing beyond the fact that, yes, it was a three-day expo. It was something that they attempted to have some sort of frou-frou-ness added on top by having so much so many volunteers and gated lines and all this sort of thing, but at the end of it, it was literally sort of just a snapshot through, it was like walking through someone's Facebook uh, gallery of old systems. All the games I've played. All the systems <laughs> I've played. That's right. it, it was kind of a celebration of like the art of games and then the evolution of the technology and like the, all the new things that, that led people able to do and in, in new ways of interacting i guess they focused on that that aspect of it rather than like you know challenging stories and you know topics or you know like grand theft auto um style games or any any kind of controversial games um even though there are the are a part of art um i wish i was there on the last couple of days i don't know if you had any friends who went to 
the Saturday and Sunday and, and had me pictures up. But I, I saw like my nephew and um, my sister-in-law. They they went and there was a lot of interactive things that they could do. They had like pictures of you being like a live action video game character. Mm. Like my nephew was like jumping up in the air, like trying to grab like some Mario style blocks and knocking them off. So I guess they had some kind of like, if I had to guess, I guess they had like an iPad with some ARG uh, or some alternate reality um, software. So when you look through the iPad, you, um, you could see, computer things interacting with your your body movements. Okay. I think I I think I just figured out what it's actually a celebration of. Just like the 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 pictures on the wall of the people playing the video loops. The fact is it was a celebration of the classic video gamer, no one more level and then I'll get to whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. Because it was supposed to be open at 10. They didn't open until 11.30. I know. You were very grumpy about that. Because we, we should say we did go on a Friday. And according to the website, they were to be open at 10. And we were there like earlier than that. And they did not open until <laughs> 11.30. They totally denied it. And they were like, 10? What? No way. <laughs> like, no. You can't get in. I, I felt it was smaller than I expected. I was thinking <laughs> when they said third floor north, it was going to be the whole wing. And it was yeah. going to be like a day of stuff. It was literally three rooms. Now, the more articles I read about this, the more I realize that apparently it was quite a struggle to get this exhibit in there at all. And this is considered a foot in the door to now have art museums recognize gaming as a form of art and hopefully be able to grow into something a little more substantial in the future. Um, it was not portrayed that way. So when you, when you went there, you expected more than that. And again, yeah. on a Friday... Maybe we picked the wrong yeah. day. A Saturday, yeah. probably there were supposed to be bands and stuff, and we didn't see any of that. Yeah, I, I think it was really maybe a case of of wrong day. Uh, but as the panel started, I, I, I started to get it. When I was out in that, the courtyard area and, and meeting other gamers and talking to other mm-hmm. gamers, and the, the panels were fantastic, and Chris M- Melanios or what, whatever his name is, it was an excellent moderator, and his views on art and gaming and um, his, his just his knowledge of them were fantastic, and I can definitely see um, this getting a lot more attention of getting video games as seen as art in museums like movies and television are. I do want to talk to you about that. Uh, Tinsy and I had to leave early; that the panels weren't till three, so we had to leave to catch the train home before then, and so that left John by himself. Um, there were it's okay. <laughs> Waiting in line for like an hour because it was first come, first serve. Yes. Um, yeah. So some of the panels, the first one held at 3 o'clock was the Evolution of Video Games Pioneers, which was RJ, Michael, Mike, Mika, Rand Miller, Don Daglow, and Keith Robinson. I don't know if you got a chance to see that panel. I, I got to see them both. Um, yeah, I'm glad you had the names because I don't remember the names of the people who were there, but I, I do remember all the, the things they talked about. Okay. What was that like, the Pioneers? Evolution of video games. Uh, it was really great. Like, there's a the guy who invented in, the Intellivision system was there, and he owns basically everything as part of that. Is that the Chuck E. Cheese guy? Um, no, but he looked remarkably like that guy. Okay. <laughs> there was a guy who owned what, what is it? The founder of Atari or something that also owned Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, I think he was. Then later that night, 
Okay. Um, he was there at seven, and that's that's the one I missed. I, I did not stick stick around for that one. Okay, okay. Carry on. It was also it sold out very quickly. Um, but they, you know, they talked about. It was really interesting talking, like their perspectives on how video games were made, and because they were inventing everything from the start. They're, like we as gamers, if we if we tried to think of like what kind of game we would make, we would base it off of games that we've played. But they had nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. I was an engineer. I was a Hollywood producer. I wrote plays. Like they all had different backgrounds, and somehow they got into making video games. And you know, anything they could, they could come up with, the, the world was open to them. And though they were technologically limited to different uh, different machines, um, they had one guy. He um, his his main bit of note is that he develops games on every every generation of consoles since the beginning. Hmm. What? And I guess someone like him would never retire because he's got to keep that streak going. Uh, yeah, that's quite a, a history. Like everything from Atari to like uh, Xbox 360, he's been making things on. Hmm. Okay, what about the second panel, The Evolution of Video Games the Future? That was Paul Barnett, Mark DeLora, Ken Levine, and Kelly Santiago. Um, I would I would go to any panel that Ken Levine is talking. I, even if there was no art <laughs> exhibition, I would go because I think <laughs> that guy is so on smart. How to curdle milk. Yes, it's like I'm going to read off my grocery list. Um, <laughs> um, I always think he's like the smartest guy in the room, and, and I really enjoyed his perspective on things. And that panel I I liked the most mainly because it's. You know the modern games that I've been playing, and I think those guys are really creative. Um, uh, like Kelly Santiago's had the view of the independent gamer, and um, Ken Levine um, had, or Ken Levine, Ted Levine. Now I'm getting, I'm getting all my names mixed up. Um, you know, like his groundbreaking PC games and and big first uh, person shooter style hits and one guy from Bioware um, and uh, I forgot the other guy's the other guy's name I'm trying to um, remember which one was from Bioware was, um, I think it was Paul Warner because I think Mark was um, he, he, he developed some other games he had this interesting story about uh, the retro game for Dark Void Zero hmm. um, God, or am I confusing him with someone on the other panel Yes, I am. Uh, he was a, it was a transitional thing, and he he made a uh, a game that was in honor of like all these old retro games. And I think you you could play it on your Game Boy, and when you loaded it up, it loaded up it would start flickering, and and if you knew your old Nintendo games, you have to blow on your cartridge to get it to work. <laughs> so you have to blow into the microphone, and then the game would start up, and just all sorts of neat little love letters to old old school gaming. Paul Barnett. Like he had a lot of interesting things to say and he 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 definitely he was the engineer on the panel and he gave their perspective of of talking about you know just the technical aspects of it and he was he was a much very much a fan of the technology. The other guy was more of a writer. Um okay. Ken you know, was more of a a game director and 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 Kelly was more of a like an independent um game director. So, you know, the two sides of the in- industry is game developers and a writer, and then someone from the technical side, all talking about how video games have grown and evolved. 
Okay. They're all very different. Uh, they all have very different styles of development, for sure. So that would be neat to hear them all have talk about commonalities that they have. It was nice, like, the, like, I guess you could have, like, the new kids and the old kids. And, um, like, the new kids were in the audience, uh, when the old kids were talking and then the old kids stayed. Uh Um, and, and listened to them and, and, like, would give input, you know, from the audience. It was neat. It was definitely, like, you know, just gamers getting together and talking about what we love about games and, 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 and how things have changed. And, like, you know, I, I, it would take one hell of a panel to get that many generations of game developers all in one place That's talking right. about the industry. Warhammer all the way to flower. Very different stuff. Cool. All right. Excellent. Anything else you guys want to share about uh, the Games Expo? It was kind of small, but I enjoyed it, I thought, for the brief time we were there. I will balance my curmudgeonness with a, <laughs> uh, a positive side. As odd as it was to have so much press around, the press did really make a point of making the kids feel welcome and uh, interviewing them and taking time to work through an actual interview with the kids without it being kind of like a smarmy, uh, sort of greasy feeling thing. If the press was there and um, the kids were playing a video game or they were talking, uh, they'd come over and they would be very respectful to the kids. So I sort of appreciated that. Yeah, it was really nice. There was um, like the Pixel Perfect crew was there um, and they were interviewing people like, what what the games make you f- feel like? Like to the kids who've never seen um, a lot of these games, especially the older games, it's like when you play it, like, what are you thinking? What is, would you like describe this game? And it, it's neat. You know, it's that art in the innocent eyes of a child and, and how, how that makes makes you feel and, and that's what's great about video games is that they are the, the real interactive art. Mm-hmm. Well, it was neat to see things like Pac-Man right alongside Flower. One is so simple, just, you know, your little 16-bit dots and Pac-Man and everyone seemed to have just as much fun playing, you know, the simpler games that maybe they'd never seen because there was a lot of kids playing that. Um, and all the way up to, you know, playing the really beautiful orchestral pieced, you know, amazingly realistic flower. And everyone enjoyed the whole gamut, I thought, from, from all, all the levels. And it was neat to see the, the little kids play some of the older stuff mm-hmm. and, and be still fascinated by it and not be like, oh, this is weird and uh, lame. And- well, uh-huh. it was good for us older gamers too like when i went to the part and i saw all the old consoles and i would see pictures of games that i played like it took me right back there to <laughs> it's like oh man final fantasy tactics i had the best time playing that game and like oh that was this was the first time i ever played a resident evil game and i like just, seeing all the old bard's tale stuff but i was actually impressed john by you um i'm not a big indie game fan but you were so hyped over flower that i actually paid a lot more attention to that demo um, than I think I ever would if I was just walking by it um, and saw it on the wall. Well, those so. are my favorite kind of games, like those e- experimental games, experiential games, like you know n- that don't really fit in in other, you know, the the, the standard categories like shooter games and mm-hmm. fighting games and sports games, um, and and ones that are are simple and like they're kind of outside of culture 
um, and country and, and language that anyone of any age can pick up. And I, there's something special about those games. And I feel like, um, like I always like the, the Project Trico games like Ico and Shadow of the Colossus. Like there's very little dialogue in any of those games. Um, and it's all about, you know, how it makes you feel and like exploring this new world that's in there. Like you can paint a picture of a new world. You can watch a movie set in another place, but you, you can't really experience another virtual world like you can and then in a video game. And I have to give a shout out to Minecraft, which was in there. I wish it was playable and then I could talk about Minecraft forever. <laughs> well, it was neat uh, to see to see Flower and, and Journey, and hopefully that gaming company will get back to me and we'll be able to have them on for an interview because I definitely would like to pursue Absolutely. But anyway, a big thank you to John and Tanzian. And if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode. Hey everybody, Rabbit here with a public service type announcement. As you may or may not know, Genesee used to have sponsorship for her podcasts, but she doesn't anymore. As such, I suggested to her in the meantime that she could put up a Amazon wish list. And after many, 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 many messages on Facebook, I finally convinced her to do so. Genesee was very hesitant and uh, felt weird about saying this herself, so uh, the bunny will do it for her. So if you have enjoyed her Gray Area podcast, and you might want to return the smile or uh, good times, you now have a chance to do so through the Amazon wishlist. All you have to do is go to Amazon.com and do a search for wishlist and type in genesegray at yahoo.com, and it should pop right up there. And when I checked it this morning, gifts range from some books at around $10 was the low range, and then it was a few games that are older games, so they were sort of, you know, mid-range price, like around $20, $25 bucks or so. And then it was at least one or two uh, newer games that are, you know, around $55 to $60. Bucks. But if you have enjoyed her podcasts and want to say thank you in a way that is not a direct donation of monies. You can do an indirect donation of monies through uh, getting a gift. You can go to the Amazon wishlist and pick out something and send it to her. And if you can't afford to send a donation, but you do want to send some appreciation to your favorite podcaster, pretty much all of us do appreciate getting a little note now and then. Send an email or post on the Facebook page. Okay, that's it. Okay, thanks. Bye.